Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Welcome back to the Defiant Spirit Podcast. I am Baruch Levy, also known as B, and I am back by popular demand with my good friend and now partner in the Enneagram, Scott Schaffman. What's up, Brother Scott? Hey, Baruch. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm excited to just have a conversation today about um, anything and everything under the sun, but especially I've been riffing lately on the Enneagram, which is not new, but I've been talking specifically about Enneagram number two for anybody who is just joining us maybe for the first time and doesn't know much about the Enneagram. It's a, it's a a personality assessment um, and typing system, but it's ancient. It's got deep roots. And uh, the Enneagram two is sometimes called the helper, supporter, the lover, the nurturer. It's all about relationship. And, um, you know, you and I have had many conversations, but since I'm talking about the Enneagram 2 lately, I've been talking about it from the lens of wealth with our also our mutual friend, Michael Feiner. Um, I've been talking about it in general, and I want to talk to you today about anything, but especially the Enneagram 2 as it shows up in your life because you happen to default as an Enneagram 2 and potentially at work since that's a big area of both of our lives. I, I, I'm shifting a lot into working with people at work to utilize their Enneagram. And so I call my program Lead 360 and bringing the Enneagram to work. And that's kind of the jumping off point. Okay. That sounds good. Well, cool. um, I just I have to say something that uh, I think is a little bit entertaining. So I start my morning. I like to start every morning. I go to um, the gym and, um, you know, whether I work out or not, I'm, I'm there. Even if I happen to, if I don't have that much time, I like to sit in this, in the, um, in the sauna and listen to, um, I have all, I have this one, it's called primed mind. And, uh, it's, um, this meditation app and there's all sorts of different, um, meditations you can choose from. Um, which is kind of besides the point, but anyways, I sit in the, in the, um, in the uh, sauna for about, you know, about 15, 20 minutes. And for the record, you've been doing that for like 30 years since I've known you. Yeah. But the meditation piece that that's different, that's but yes, I, that's we definitely true. back in the day, we, we, we would sit in the sauna. Yes. That's, that's funny. Florence, Kansas. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, so I bring my phone. Okay. Cause I need to listen to the meditation. Um, and then from there I go into, you know, I shower. So, um, yesterday, um, on my way from the sauna to the shower, I had to, I, you know, sometimes I shave and I, I don't have as hairy, you know, I don't have to shave as often as you probably do, but yesterday was the day to shave. And, um, I grabbed the shaving cream and a razor from the, from the counter, um, on my way to the shower. And I accidentally, 
And I don't know if you know this, but I accidentally FaceTimed you. Did you get a FaceTime <laughs> yesterday? I did. I just thought I didn't know it was FaceTime. I know you called me. I thought you butt time. Oh, yeah. It was no, it was a FaceTime call. And, <laughs> and I didn't realize it. Um, it took about two rings, and then I realized that I that you're I'm calling you FaceTime while I'm in the shower, the men's shower. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea where the angle of the phone is at that point in time. I'm just so grateful that you didn't answer. Thank oh, wait, actually, I have the footage of it here. I'm going to show it to our viewers. <laughs> <laughs> My ratings just went through the roof. So I uh, I appreciate you um, not being available yesterday when I did accidentally I appreciate you. not being available. <laughs> I, I love you, but uh, yeah. I had to share that. Life, oh, that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, so, well, you know, that's an interesting starting point, not the, the part about being naked in the shower. But... Um, <laughs> You know, I know, you know, like I, I did say kind of just in jest that you have been going to the, the Schwitz, as we say in Yiddish, the uh, sauna for 30 years. I always, you know, we used to work out um, in um, Lawrence, Kansas, when we were there together in school. And um, that was kind of the the, uh, the ending point going to the sauna. But, you know, what you said is right, is the new addition for you is it's a contemplative space. It's a meditation space. You talk a lot about those 15 minutes or however long you last in the, uh, the sauna as kind of a, almost a sacred space for you. Yeah, I think it's so important um, to start your day, okay? Emptying your cup, you know? I think it's so, so important. Tell us what that means. So what that means for me is that I need to start my day with an empty cup so when things happen and Amy calls and adds stress to my life, Amy's my wife and, you know, things happen, work, things happen, you know, whether I'm in the mortgage business. So if there's an issue an appraisal or income issue, it, you know, things add, they, my cup fills up slowly. If I started the day without working out, without that meditation, my cup is full. Okay. I haven't had a chance to empty my cup. Mm -hmm. So when those things happen, which they happened in the past, I would lose it. I, I would, I, my temper, I, I would, I, I was, it was like my dark side would come out because I haven't, I didn't have a chance to be centered. Mm -hmm. So I can't. Um, so for me personally, I need to start my day with an empty cup this way. I am centered. I am, uh, I feel like my true authentic self. And um, as the day goes by, I'm able to maneuver and, and be able to respond versus react. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's so, so, so critical. Just doing a lot of work on making sure that I do respond and not react. Um, and uh, so, so yes, it's critical for me. And I think it's, important for everybody to to start their day with an empty cup so they're able to be able to respond and not react awesome. react once that cup is overflowing a cup's overflowing you're going to react so you know we talk a lot about this kind of i use the, i use a lot the, the analogy of the cup and it's about being intentional of you know everybody wants a full cup you just want it to be full of the things you choose not that are chosen for you, 
right? So it's about filling your cup up by being conscious. And it comes down to, you know, my entire world is built around this um, slide. If, you, if you're listening, I'm happy to send it to you. If you're watching on YouTube, it's, a, you know, you can read it for yourself. But it says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our happiness. And that's by Dr. Viktor Frankl. And Scott, that's what you're talking about, right? Is that the, the reaction is when your cup is full, you feel like there's no space for you. You feel like you have no space between stimulus and response. Shit happens. You react because there's just no, yeah, there's no breathing room. Yeah. I mean, yes, 100%. And it's just making sure that, uh, especially over the last few years with COVID and everything and being isolated, you know, I mean, a lot of us haven't necessarily been isolated for quite some time, but I think it, it, um, I think that that opportunity for me, at least it gave me that time to reflect. It gave me that time to really dig deep into um, what, where my true self is and what, where my authenticity it lies. Um, and I've done a lot of reading and a lot of listening and Brooke, you've been a tremendous asset in my life. Like I think like I could not have done this without you, but it's, it's, you know, me entering this, like you, you talk about, you know, you have the morning of life and then the afternoon of life. Well, I think over the last few years, I've entered into this afternoon of life um, and, and, uh, and realizing how important that statement is that um, you just displayed and talked about and what you build your, your life around. Well, I think that um, COVID has been the space between stimulus and response for a lot of people. Um, I've told you before, but I rarely do I work with guys in particular prior to the age of 45, somewhere in their 40s, up to 50, unless they've had a space between stimulus and response. And that space could have been COVID. It can be a loss of a parent. It can be a divorce. It can be a financial or professional setback or disaster. But until then, we're just we're running too hard. Right. A morning of life, first half of life is all about faster and harder and mm. busier and bigger and accumulate and grow. And, you know, it's like there's just no space. Um, and so what I think I've or what I have seen you do over the past couple of years coinciding with COVID, I don't think for you it was only about COVID. I mean, we've talked about it a lot that our the death of our friend Mark, I think, shifted something in you and certainly me. Um, this time in your life where you are professionally, I'd like to get into that too, about, you know, the shift in the mortgage industry. And um, anyways, it just it, all of it is added up, as I've seen watching you, is a big space between stimulus and response and deciding what's going to go in that space, maybe for the first time in your life. Mm-hmm. And um, and listening and being able to, to sit back and, and listen and to hear versus trying to think of what I'm going to say, right? That's most, a lot of people get caught up in, in, um, in, in conversation and trying to think about how they're going to respond versus just sitting and, and actually really paying attention and listening. Right. And engaging, sitting sitting and in the space. Yeah. Sitting in that space. Sitting in the, the sauna, if you will. It doesn't matter if it's a sauna or if it's just, you know, a few moments of 
contemplation, quiet, just kind of listening to what is, right? Paying attention. Um, and as I pay attention to you, you know, because that's all, that's that's just what we do is we get on these calls. By the way, you know, anybody listening, it's like Scott and I talk weekly um, or multiple times a week, sometimes off off the podcast, right? And we work together in this capacity. And I, and I just see my role in your life, Scott, as um, just kind of paying attention and listening and sharing with you sort of a witness's view of what, you know, we can't see ourselves grow. It's like watching mm -hmm. your kids grow. I mean, you need people outside of you sometimes to tell you, hey, do you know your kid's so tall? I see them every day. It's just hard mm -hmm. to measure that. And not that you're my kid, but you're my friend and I witness your growth. And, um, you know, what I've seen, I've seen it in a few other guys, especially I say guys because you're an Enneagram too. It's a helper. And I would say it's disproportionately females that tend to be two. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, it's more than 50% that I see or two. Now, I don't know if that's because our society kind of nurtures women into the two role or what. I don't really care. All I know is I don't work with that many guys who are twos. But the guys who I do work with who are twos, who are helpers, they, in some ways, you have a tall order because our society doesn't really push boys at a young age into the two role, the helper, the nurturer, the the softer you know, relationship oriented person. And I know that's something you, you probably struggled with for a good percentage of your life. I don't see you struggling with that. In fact, I've seen you embrace that over the past couple of years. And I think to me, and maybe that's a jumping off point into kind of work too. I think that that's been one of the breakthroughs for you is you've really just embraced this Enneagram two nurturing quality. Wow. That's, it's really nice. Very well said. Um, I, I agree with you. I think for quite some time, for probably 48 years of my life, I was probably ashamed, embarrassed, um, just, you know, it didn't feel as though I was um, as brave, as manly as some people are okay as some men are and and I, and I think I fought that for quite some time for actually for 48 years um and uh I over the last few years I've really embraced it and I've become vulnerable to myself and to people around me in in just being my true self and for me that that's important. And I, I've gotten past the point of really caring about what people think of me. And I think for so long, I did care. And I did worry. Um, and and that really just, it, it goes back to like our, uh, you know, when our, our initial podcast that we, you know, this, this open floor plan, I'm trying to live like this open floor plan and just being, it's just easier for me. It's easier for me to just be myself and just embrace that and be vulnerable to, you know, my emotions and my sensitive side, um, because that is me. And uh, I think I fought that for a long, long time. Well, you know, everybody fights it, but I think that too, as a man or as a boy really fights it because, you know, I'm showing our audience who are looking, if you're listening, I'll send this slide to you as well. Um, 
you know, Scott, you, your core type, we have all nine energies, numbers, personalities, pieces in us, but, you know, we default to one of them and you default to this, to this helper. And as I mentioned before, I think it's really, especially tough for a young boy when, especially growing up when we did, maybe it's different today. It's certainly a little different, but when we were growing up, you know, this piece here had to be almost hidden, mm. closeted, the, the nurturing, softer, kinder, football field right you're out on the football field and this part probably doesn't serve you so well in that environment and mm -hmm. so you're going to want to morph into one of the more aggressive types you're going to want to change your kind of your mo mm -hmm. your stripes your the look and feel so you know you go over here to the achiever which is more of a you know on the football field kind of a hero or up here at eight a tough guy and so i just think you're up against a lot as a boy i see this with my son who's a four and he's a, that's the uh, individualist. That's the really emotional type. Two is emotional. Four is extremely emotional. And I see him constantly being pushed into something other than his true emotional self. Um, the world around him is just pounding him to kind of be something else. So and, let me ask you this question. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but no, please with do. you, with you knowing so much about this, like, how do you guide him into honoring his true self without telling him that he has to be this way? Because obviously kids don't listen, right? So what do you do to try to like help him get to this, this safe space where he feels good about himself? Well, I think it's, it's not so different than what you've gone through. I've certainly gone through it. And that is, um, not to make it wrong or bad, right? But just to start to accept it as our operating system. You know, nobody beats themselves up if you have an iPhone and you try and run an Android app on it and it's like, it just doesn't work. You don't beat yourself up. It's not supposed to work on the iPhone. iPhone's for iPhone apps. And I, and I think the same is true with the Enneagram, you know, your type is your type. It's not a fault. It's not a anything other than you're wired how you're wired. Same with, you know, sexuality or whatever it is. Like, this is your wiring. And so that to me, that's always the starting point because so many people start beating themselves up. I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be a two. I should be a tough three and get on the football field. I know this is like, you know, a mantra that probably ran through your head the first 20 years of your life. I shouldn't be this sensitive. Or people around you telling you as a two, you shouldn't be this sensitive, right? I'm sure you heard that a few times. Well, yeah, whether I heard it or not, it just, it didn't feel right. Like at that moment to, to be sensitive because I, I know I wouldn't have fit in. So it, so I like looking back on my childhood. Yeah. I don't feel like I was my true self a lot of the time because I wasn't able to emote the way that I was feeling. And that's. So that's the starting point. Cause you asked me, you know, what do I do for my son? And my starting point mm. is look, you know, his name is Aviv. And I say, Aviv, um, there's no should or shouldn't. It is like, if you feel emotional, if you, if you feel like he cries at the drop of a hat, especially around animals, he cannot watch animal movies. He's super sensitive to the pain of animals, it like breaks his heart. And he says, you know, we're what we were watching a dog's journey home or something tr profoundly sad. And he's bawling. He says, I shouldn't be crying. I'm like, 
it's not a should or shouldn't. Your eyes are filling up with tears because those are emotions. It's coming out. Like it is. And that's a starting point for for me. And that's partially what the Enneagram helps me do is just embrace my operating system. Hmm. Right? I, it's not good or bad. It is. Now, what do I do with it? Now, that's what becomes good or bad. Right. So like, for instance, Aviv is super emotional. It doesn't mean just because you're feeling all those emotions, you need to act on them or you need to believe them or you need to, you know, it just means you got to start to pay attention to them and look at how are they coming out and why are they coming out and when are they coming out? This is, you know, taking your power back. That's that's the stimulus and response. Hmm. So really starting to just look at yourself and he's only 11, but he's doing it as an 11 year old does it. Um. You know, you're, you you're feel, 50. You're doing do it like you a 50. Do you feel like uh, he's he's understanding himself a little bit more? I do. Um, I still think, you know, he's up against a pretty tall order because he, all the boys will run off to the playground when, he, you know, at, in recess and play football. And he doesn't want to play football. He's a dancer. Um, but that's not exactly a recess activity, right? So he'll just kind of sit there and he now he just sits there and he stops beating himself up and doesn't force himself onto the football field. Mm-hmm. And that's an act of courage or bravery. Yes, that is good right? for as, him. Like as opposed owning. to our, you know, our good friend, Mark, who passed away, um, he sucked at football. Like, <laughs> he sucked at every playground. Every Well, he was a good runner, right? That was about it. Yeah, kind of. He ran. He had a penguin kind of a run back. But in the he day. ran. He could run far. Like that oh, yeah. was like his. Yeah, but he was like four. Yeah, that was the Forrest Gump survival thing. He was running, <laughs> and um, he was he was the world's worst athlete. And but the problem wasn't that he was the world because he was brilliant. He was he was from the neck up. He was he outpaced all of us. You know, back in the day. Um, but he forced himself out in the playground, and it was miserable because I don't think he had people around him encouraging him to. You know, don't go onto the playground and play that sport if you're not comfortable, if that's not who you are. You don't have to run with them. Go read your book. He loved, he always showed up at a um, um, slumber party with a book. Like he was that kid. And we would all like jump on him and pound him and whatever. Because you jump on the kid with a book. <laughs> um, but, you know, he ended up owning the company type, you know, thing mm-hmm. later on in life. But, you know, it's like, be that guy. If that's who you are, if you're the kid with the book, yeah. then be the kid with the book. Don't try and be the kid with the football. It's just so hard at a young age when you're not, um, you don't have that insight. No. You are trying to fit in. But it doesn't change because here's, now this is the segue into what you do professionally. You're basically on the, you chose a football kind of a profession. You know, very aggressive. You know, the mortgage industry is not known for kind of touchy-feely. Right. Most of the people I bet if you walk down the off the hallway of your office, most mm. people's offices aren't decorated, you know, feng shui'd with crystals and yeah. I've got uh I got the Buddhas. No, got... you are the exception to the rule, right? Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. I've got my my grateful things. <laughs> but ten years ago, did your office look no like way. that? No way. No okay. way. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. Nope. So it's no different than the kid on the football field, right? On the playground. Yeah. So, but that's my question is how have you defied that world? Wow. That's it. You know, I've been thinking about this. And um, so this is what I would like to talk about. So my, my girls are um, biracial. And 
um, Layla is 14 and Gabriella is 16. And they're both struggling right now with their identity because it's just tough at that age to fit in, especially with being biracial because they're either not white enough or they're not black enough. And unfortunately, the schools are just still very segregated. So um, I've been very uh, aware of this and I hear what they're saying. So I'm trying to do my part. Okay. And what that means for me is I'm part of uh, this inclusion advisory group um, with uh, a board of, of realtors here. I'm trying to use my voice um, um, for them. Um, maybe not for them, but I mean, I guess it, essentially it is for them. And uh, it's starting to like spill over in, in certain things in my life. Um, and I'm going to give you a in, a in a really good way. And I want to give you an example. And there's other things that I've been in, you know, getting involved in as well. But last yesterday was a really tough day. Um, just struggling with family stuff. Um, you know, it's we're just Gabriella's struggling a little bit. Um, Amy's health is not not the greatest. So um, and uh, it's just it wears on me um, because they're everything to me, and I just want to make sure that they're in a good place and a good space. So yesterday was really just thoroughly exhausting. And I get um, an email from somebody that wants to talk at uh, five o'clock. And I'm like, I didn't respond right away. I'm like, I went for a walk yesterday, um, just to just decompress a little bit. Um, And about an hour later, I realized, you know what, I'm gonna, I'll talk to him at five. You know, it's not that something it's not what I wanted to do. Okay. But with this client, I knew he was African-American. Okay. Per the application. Um, and he qualified for a few different, really amazing, um, loan programs and benefits with what we have. And, uh, we talked last night and, I, there was something in the conversation that truly brought me just joy. Unfortunately, there is a huge wealth gap, okay, amongst African-Americans and white people. And not only that, but there is a home ownership, huge gap. Back in 19, after the civil rights movement, 1968, let's just say, Mm -hmm. there was about a 30% gap in home ownership between African-Americans and white families. To this day, it has not changed. Wow. Not changed. People wouldn't know that, but I saw the stats. And so I'm talking to this guy and he was so appreciative, so grateful. Like he, he told me probably five times on the phone of how, like how excited he is because he's going to be able to buy his first home. And it is not a big loan amount. It is a small loan amount, meaning I am not going to get paid a lot of money on this loan. But for me, it is not about the money. 
truly is not about the money. What fills me up, it's like what Brooke said, is I am a helper. I am a server. I That's what brings me joy. After this conversation, I, I all of a sudden felt amazing. And I, it was just a, it was such a win for me, for me to recognize um, how important it is for me to not just say certain things, but act on them and do them. Because once they are in action, it's, it's different. And in, in these small little things that I can personally do, I can help you know, this guy buy his first house and then maybe, who knows, maybe he tells a few of his friends or family members about me. Maybe, you know, I'm, it, we're, I'm making more of an impact um, on something that is truly, truly uh, important to me and brings me a different type of joy that I don't experience a lot in this business. So that's the best way, the best example I can give based on what, how I can impact what I do in my career with my personality type. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot there. One of the things that I hear, and you're not even addressing it, is that the open floor plan for those who are listening is Scott's um, coined term that I now use and people love it. And that is, you know, what's happened in our modern, you know, architecture of our homes, styles of our homes is that we've gotten a lot rid of a lot of walls. Probably back in the eighties, you build mm -hmm. a house and you got lots of different rooms. And now <laughs> today people are seeking out open floor plans because it's mm -hmm. just a more fluid, different vibe, transparent kind of experience. And, you know, you brought that to one of our podcasts and people really responded to that, which is living that way, not just building a house that way. Can I live with an open floor plan where I don't have walls between how I am at home, how I am at work, how I am with my friends, how I am with my parents, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And back to the open floor plan. And I don't think most people realize you're helping your daughters because what you began by saying they're struggling with their identity. And the natural response, I think, is to take that head on and try and fix it, right? That's that's certainly, I get that's myself I into a lot of trouble. Used to, I would have used to try to do that, yes. And so I realize it's not. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fix it. Here's the solution. And they're looking at you like, you know, like my wife does when I do that. And she's like, idiot, I didn't ask <laughs> you to try and solve it. Mm -hmm. I just wanted you to hear it. And I, you know, look, why do I do that? Why do you do that? Because I want to help. I want to do something. So that's a direct way to help my kids. And I don't think it's all that helpful. The other way is what you did, which is you indirectly help them by bringing that issue to your work environment, right? All of a sudden the universe presents you with an opportunity that's interestingly related to your daughter's biracial identity, right? You're addressing it in an indirect way. You're helping somebody who has nothing to do with them. And yet I think energetically, you're helping them, right? Because you're tending to an issue that you're helping somebody else that is related to what they're going through. And so I think that I call this expanding the circle. So you're dealing with it over here at work and you're pushing the circle out. But what happens when you expand a circle is it expands in all directions. So you're making it bigger. So you're expanding their circle. And I just think it's a different way to think about helping the people in our lives. I've always the word abundance has always meant a lot to me 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like this is how truly abundance works. When you can honor who you truly are in a way where it isn't an open floor plan, you're owning um, y- yourself and in uh, doing what you need to do in order to impact the people around you um, in order for that circle, like you said, to expand. And you're helping some, you know, random person out in the world expand their circle and they help other somebody expand the expansion, right? There's an opening. Mm-hmm. And that's, by the way, that's the growth because, you know, when things get in nature, when things are afraid, they get smaller, they contract. Mm-hmm. Contraction is an act of fear, right? You just see it when somebody's in fear, just their body. And one of the things mm-hmm. I'll do working with somebody is just help them begin by changing their posture. Mm-hmm. The moment you sit a little more erect, the moment you take a deep breath, the moment you relax, right? <laughs> My posture wasn't very good. So, <laughs> but, but it's, you know, the fear takes in and makes us mm-hmm. smaller and you're helping this gentleman expand, move out into the world. Right. And I do believe you're helping your, your daughters indirectly. I hope so. I really do. Um, and they, they they don't see it right now, but maybe at some point in time they will, and they'll realize it. And and that that's as long as they realize it at some point in time. That's all I care about. It's a matter of when. It's you know obviously the sooner the better. Like I want them to know how important. Um, I just think it's. I, I think it's a very um, sensitive subject, you know, around, you know, being adopted and, and biracial. I can't imagine what they must be going through in today's environment at their age. And I'm, you know, both Amy and I are really just trying to uh, um, be there for them to where they can move past this uncomfortableness that they have within themselves. Because once they are able to embrace it, I know they're going to both do amazing things, but they're both struggling right now. But, but again, what you're, you know, they are experiencing the fruits of your labor right now. In my, my opinion, because you're coming home charged, open, mm-hmm. expand, expansive. When, when, you know, my dad hated his work when he would come home, you could just feel the energy closed down in the, in our house. People would get tense. Mm. He was tense. He was always tense. And that tension is palpable. It, it was experienced. I was just talking to my sister about this the other day. It was experienced by us. And that, you know, look, I'm not blaming him, but it did a disservice to our family when you bring that mm. shit home. But when you come home, because it's an open floor plan, and you've really done amazing work at, at work, and you come home and you feel energized, that spills over too. I, I mean that. Thank you. Um, it's just, it's just who I am now, you know. And I'm just trying to embrace it as much as I can. And so, and how do you bring that to the mortgage industry? Um, I, I think the the biggest thing for me right now is to try. It. Here's the problem that I am having right now. Okay, is I, I am craving connection on a much deeper level. Right. Well, the problem with being in my line of work is when you're dealing with clients, 
they're it's short term, right? Like it's not a, a could it be a lifetime connection? Hopefully, but you know, the client really only needs me in their life for 30 days, 45 days. So it's, it's hard. Like that's the, the struggle that I have right now in, in connection. So where I'm trying to find it um, in my work is honestly with the people that I work with, um, just trying, I, I love being in my office and, and just really just trying to connect with my coworkers um, on a deeper level. And, and the people that um I are my partners, like my real estate agents or financial advisors, whoever it is that I can have a deeper connection with, where we are in alignment, right? And that alignment then nurtures mm -hmm. like-minded clients. Hmm. The core calling of a two is connection. Like this is just like, it. it's constantly in the back of your head, the back of your soul, calling you connect, connect. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah. That's, that's, that's what fills me up. You know, I don't have that as a two. I, I mean, I have pieces of it, but that's not like my core calling for a two. Your core calling is connection. Mm -hmm. And you know, the mortgage industry is not known for its nurturing connection qualities. And that's an act of defiance, right? We talk a lot about defying mm circumstances and thing. And so I, I think that that's what you're up against. That's what you're doing. And I can see how valuable it is. And people who are listening, you don't have to be in the mortgage industry. Most people who are, you know, in corporate environments are not in connection environments. There's, mm -hmm. They're competitive environments. It's your next door neighbor, the three, the achiever, which is really kind of built for that. But to be able to maintain my core calling, my who I am, I'm a connector. I want to build relationships. To bring that to an industry that isn't necessarily built around that, mm -hmm. right? It's awesome. It's important. It is important. Yeah, I agree. And, and just being vulnerable to it, too. And just knowing that. Because leading in a, in a mortgage industry is you, you don't typically have somebody like myself trying to take a bigger role in this industry. Usually it's somebody that um, is numbers driven and really motivating and wants to just, um, yeah, you know, just trying to, um, you know, production. And, and I think I'm in a different space where I am more about connection and, and real estate and not real relationships and and really trying to motivate in a different way connecting on a different way to where I know that the results will follow so um, you know because a lot of people outside of work are struggling they struggle with whether it's at their home life physically mentally um, emotionally and and if if there's a way that I can help with that piece, mm -hmm. right, and make this, let's just say this workspace a, a healthier, safer environment, because they do have more of a connection um, with the people that are here, results should follow. Um, and that's the open floor plan. And that's the gift of the two. You know, the two, I call in my system, 
you know, it, the Enneagram two is this um, helper, but in my lead 360 and helping people do bring this into their leadership, it's the supportive leader, right? To play the support mm. role. And that's oftentimes background, not foreground, right? Twos tend to be the ones in the background, mm-hmm. pushing others into the foreground, into the spotlight and creating a context where others can shine. And that's by definition goes against the sales model, right? Because you're not necessarily getting the sale. You're helping other people succeed, but you're taking a long, you're taking the long view, not the short view. The short view says in the moment you may have lost that sale. In the Mm -hmm. long view, you're building a network, you're building community, you're building strength, especially, I don't have to tell you, I want to talk about this in the remaining time we have. This is an industry that's right now in constriction, that's in fear, the mortgage industry, I imagine on the inside of most mortgage companies' walls, there's a lot of panic and a lot of fear. So it takes even more effort to defy that. Get mine. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. true? Very true. It's right very now, a lot of fear. Numbers oriented and there's there's a lot of lack of production right now. And obviously originating and closing loans is how mortgage companies generate revenue and there's just not a lot of it right now. Mm-hmm. And so all nationwide, you are seeing companies, you know, cut their operations staff. Um, you're seeing companies probably are going, there's going to be a lot of consolidation in this industry. Um, the, the, the strong will survive because, you know, we've, done a really good I know myself and my wife have been just very conscious I've been doing this for 20 years so I've seen some ups and downs and I'll never forget 2008 when things weren't great and financially and so I've done a very good job at making sure that we're not living within our means based on what my paycheck was during the the really good times and we put a lot of money away um probably not as much as we could have, you know, we still had a lot of fun and went on some great vacations. Um, but I was very conscious in making sure that savings was so, so important because I knew there was going to be a downturn. I didn't ever know it was going to be as bad as it is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but what you're going to start seeing though is, uh, loan officers are going to start exiting this industry as well, because if you've only been in this business for less than five years, you only know the really, really good times mm-hmm. and, and you you build your lifestyle around and your expenses around those good times. And, and if people didn't save and put money away, there's just, I don't know how people can survive in this industry right now. So Michael and I were talking in our podcast around the Enneagram 2 and wealth. We call it the legacy investor because twos naturally have a long view of life, um, whether it's their profession or their finances, because it's not about them. You know, originally, I also was going to call it the generational investor, generational wealth. It's very important to it too because it's about relationship and relationships aren't momentary, not Mm -hmm. the real ones. They're long, you know, kind of the long game. And so you're just describing how a two would go about their professional life in the mortgage industry, which is you're not seeing it as get mine, get it now. You take the long view. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a 
asset of the two energy that you bring that I, I imagine right now is very valuable in an environment that's kind of get mine, grab it, mm-hmm. get the sale. And you're reminding people, take the long view. Well, I'm doing, I'm trying, I mean, I, I hope I am. I, I don't, I mean, it's just. You're, you're modeling it and you're doing it. Yeah, I'm, not, they listen. I'm doing what I need to do and and yes, but it's, it's, uh, it's tough right now. There's no doubt about it. It is really, really hard and. And I can't imagine things getting better between now and the end of the year. I mean, it's like how many people are going to want to go out and buy homes during the winter time? Not right. too many. So, right. you know, well, I know that it's I, I feel like things are going to turn around early next year. Um, and it's just about weathering this storm. I think it's so important. And not changing your values because there's a storm, mm-hmm. right? True. That's I mean, that's we, we talk a lot about this, not changing your game plan, not changing your strategy. This mm-hmm. is my North Star. I'll keep sailing towards it. That's so true. That's, that's so true. And that's really what this is about. And I'll end with this. Um, you know, I've been, I've been sharing with people in other industries, our work together and now our podcasting. And that, you know, the big shift that I saw in your work was when you moved away from, you're not in the mortgage industry. You happen to be selling mortgages, but you're in the security and wealth and abundance industry. That's what you provide people. That's a North star, Mm -hmm. right? Because you help people find security, build wealth, create abundance. It happens to be vis-a-vis mortgages. Some people do it through financial, being a financial planner. Some people do it through being a doctor. Doesn't matter. Hmm. The North star doesn't change, Hmm. right? And so you really keep orienting yourself towards the North Star. And when I tell that to people, like in the legal industry, somebody said, but I'm a divorce lawyer, right? Well, how do I, how do I spin that? I said, first of all, you don't spin it. You, <laughs> you, that's the part of the problem. You get to the core of what's your why? What are you doing this for? Nobody, he wasn't doing it because he's a divorce lawyer. He's doing it because he wants to help people find security during the most vulnerable and painful time in their life. We started talking about that based on your work and our conversations. And it just shifted the way he looks at his profession. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Ripple effects. It's happening. You're doing it. We're doing it. All right, my friend. Well, I think it's another uh, meaningful podcast for people out there listening to really think about the open floor plan, filling up their cup, living by their North star. We've given a lot of people a lot of food for thought. I think seriously, that was a good one today. I enjoyed Uh, it. As always, thank you. Love to the family, and I'll see you in the next conversation. You got it. You too. Prescott. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, and Healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life or live the defiant spirit power within your life visit defiantspirit.org until then keep living your life